Today's message, let's just say in today's message, I was drawn to two passages of Scripture. So we have a couple options here. I could just preach to you both sermons. You guys have time? We could just do both of them. Um, I'm not sure which way that was leaning, but I think we're going to turn to the book of James chapter 2. The book of James chapter 2. And what we might highlight for you, what we might highlight for you are the some things that were in some of the other passages of Scripture that will tie in. So James chapter 2. I guess it would help if I got my glasses out. Now, James chapter 2 is a very practical passage of Scripture. And it brings out some things that we think about from a practicality standpoint. Um, I guess pragmatic might be the right word. So let me get my Bible to the right place. James chapter 2 Verses 1 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 26. So you'll find James, if you go back to the back of the end of the, the, the book in Revelations, and kind of turn left and go a couple verses, it's Hebrews, James. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. So that'll kind of give you an idea. And I appreciate those of you that are looking it up in your scripture. So let's go ahead and read. And if you don't have it there, I think you get, we'll have it up on the screen. We won't have it up on the screen, uh, but uh, we'll look it up in our Bibles. That's fine. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 26, it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you should, shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin or convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, listen, as we continue, uh, let me just back up and highlight what we've talked about just so far. Imagine yourself in a service or in a gathering and someone comes to the church and the person that's wearing really nice clothes, you find them the best seats. 
the people that have some status, you find them the best seats in the congregation to sit in. But those, as it would say in there, that uh, come in and they've got filthy clothes on, and you don't pay attention to them, tell them, hey, you can stand or you can sit at my footstool. Let's get the good man, the, the, the rich man, his, his uh, good seat. And so what we're talking about is that's partiality. Partiality. That's favoritism. Favoritism. And so we're not supposed to do that. And that's what it's talking about. Is, the, is that dishonor. So that's the first part. We'll come back to some of this. Now we go into the second part in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do, you not, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled with said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that, then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. <clears throat> May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Father God, I pray that you'd help us right now as we expound on, the, on this scripture. That it be meaningful and helpful for those, the Lord, in that hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you got the picture now, think about it. You have may have come into a church service or visited a church service. And when you do so, you're the person that is looking good, looking sharp. People know you. Maybe they already know you, that you're one of the richest people in town. And so the the person at the front sees you and the, the uh, ushers see you and they're like, oh, let's get them to the best seat in the house. Do you need any water? Do uh, you need any help? They, they just don't owe over them. But then the person comes that's, uh, that's needy. Their clothes are torn. Uh, their face is dirty. Um, they just had a hard way. They're just having a hard time. And when they come in, we're like, you can't take the good seats. You need to sit, stand on the wall or sit on the floor in front of us or something like that. So we're told not to show partiality towards people into the gospel because regardless of whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, we all need Jesus. Excuse me. We all need Jesus. And then the practicality part comes up into it again as we go down the rest of the passage when we read the second part of it it says if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warmed and filled 
but you not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Meaning, you ever greeted someone after church and you shake their hand and say, hey, have a great week. But you know they're not going to have a great week because they don't have food, they don't have clothing, they don't have a place to stay. And you have the wherewithal to be able to help them and you don't. Now it says a brother or sister and I know it's a challenging thing in today's time. We, <clears throat> we get some people that they'll call the churches and, and, and ring them up and say, hey, can you help me? And they're going down through all the different churches. Some because they're in need and some because they're opportunists. And so we have to ask the Lord for wisdom in those cases. But we do need to think about as we're working together as a community of believers, if someone among us is in need, we need to be thinking, can, is there something I can do for them? Because it might be the case in a month or a two or a year or a few weeks, I might be the person that needs their assistance. And we need to be willing to share that amongst us. So we've, we've on the surface here, we've talked about a couple things. And we're going to talk about some things just a little bit deeper in just a moment. So the first is that we all need the gospel. We all need Jesus and how a person looks or how a person presents themselves or whether they're filthy or clean or of status or not, we all need Jesus. And so when they come through the door, we need to be careful that we don't show partiality. Probably familiar with the phrase, you know, be careful that you're not entertaining angels unaware. But don't show partiality. The gospel is for all. The second part, again, on the surface, is this concept of we have the ability to help someone, and we we tell, give them well wishes. Hey, have a great week, and then we turn around and we don't check on them throughout the week. We don't care about them throughout the week. It's just a show. So let's go down a little bit lower. It says faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So it's not that we can earn our salvation through works. The scripture says, For by grace that you save through faith, and that not of yourself is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not a works that we become and gain our salvation, but if I have faith, and if I am trusting in God, then it should change how I behave, how I conduct myself, the things that I do. We read in the scriptures, what did it say? Somebody might say, oh, I believe God exists. I believe that God exists. And we found something interesting. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe and tremble. Someone can say they believe God exists. Well, so does the devil. And so do the demons. So there's got to be something more to it than just believing that it exists. When we believe in Jesus, that means we put our trust in Jesus. And if our trust is in him, then it should 
cause and response. Something should change from the outside in. And I can't help when I've done this, I always think about the end of the Beauty and the Beast, where this light comes from inside the Beauty and the Beast, the end of the movie, you know, the animated, and the lights come through his toes and out his fingers and everywhere. The concept is, if we have Jesus in our heart, if we have him in our heart, then we should shine our light out to those that are around us. It should have an impact on our interactions. It should have an impact on our conduct. It should have an impact on our relationships. So does it? Does it? Likewise, was not Rahab, verse 25, the harlot also just received the messengers and sent them out another way. Rahab was back at the time when they came over Jordan and they all the walls of Jericho fell. Remember the spies came in and she hid them. She hid them. And then she got them out a different way and they were saved. And then when they came back, when they came back to and the walls fell, they all went down except for who was spared. Those that were in the household of Rahab with the red cord out the window, those were spared. And you'll hear about Rahab if you look in the lineage of Jesus in the New Testament, you'll see Rahab's name. She did something more than just talk about it. Abraham did something more than just talk about it. That's the point. It's got to be action and together. So that's what it means is faith without works is dead. So the question is, is how is your faith in God affecting your interactions? How is faith in God affecting your impartiality to those that need Christ? How is faith in God affecting how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ? How is faith in God affecting your everyday life? It can't be a sticker that you put on like, I voted today. I got my Jesus sticker on. I wear my cross pendant. I got my what would Jesus do bracelet on. Some of them get tattoos and things. That doesn't make you a Christian. But how do, does it affect how you interact? Do you have to tell people that you're a Christian? Or do people sense that you're a Christian? I'm not saying you don't witness and, and those kinds of aspects, but it really should be self-evident in many ways that there's something different, that there's something going on, that your faith is alive. Doesn't that make sense? That if our faith is alive, it should affect us and our interactions and things like that. I mean, do the words and things that you say change? If you continued into the book of James, you would look in verse uh, chapter 3, and my Bible titles that 
chapter as the untamable tongue. The untamable tongue. We've lost a lot of decorum, I guess you might say, a lot of courtesy. People like to drop uh, bad words everywhere. More and more so. And even in the Christian circles, we seem a little lax, I would say, in some of those areas. But should it affect how we talk to other people? Shouldn't it cause that awareness that maybe we should be doing something different if our faith is truly alive and it's not, not dead? And when the person comes into the back door of the church and is visiting, we should see them with different eyes. We should see them with the kind of love and compassion that Jesus has for them and not see them as someone to help the church, but see them as someone that we can help. Granted, we need workers and laborers into the harvest, but we have to be careful that we don't become partial and and, uh, you know, you look at people and like, wow, look at them. And they've got a family of this and that. And, and they're, boy, they would make great. They could really help our church. We get all excited and focus on them. And the other person that needs Christ, we ignore them. That's a problem. That's a problem. So really, we're talking about how does your faith ramify itself throughout the week? How does it affect us? How does it affect us? You know, as if we interact with people, sometimes, last week we talked about the peace that passes understanding and our focus on Christ. And as we interact with people, we can kind of, we, we can kind of get ourselves all hyped up and maybe even cause ourselves to feel guilty because of how we're interacting or think we should interact with people. You know, you can't make everybody happy. And you can try to make people happy, but you just can't make everybody happy. But when you come from an interaction with other people, or you're getting ready to do something, is your thought, what will Jesus think? What would Jesus have me do? Or is your thought, what will they think? Did I, you go to a gathering, you're like, well, did I do this? Or what will people think? Or maybe I did this. I didn't want to offend them. Or I didn't, we're not going to make everybody happy, but we're supposed to try to make God happy. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we can't be responsible and try to account for all the things that we're not even aware of. We drive ourselves crazy, and we might find ourselves trying to compromise in our conduct and what our choices are in order to make people happy and forget to see what makes God happy. And like we said last week, our focus, if we rest in Christ, is where we need to be. And so, let's just slide over just into the other message, as it were. In James chapter 4, verse 17, if you're already in the book of James, you can flip over to it, and it says... Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. If you know what you're supposed to do or not do and you don't follow, then that becomes a problem. 
But don't try to make yourself accountable for everything everybody thinks about you. Because you'll drive yourself crazy. You're accountable for what God has shined light upon you. You're accountable at that place of maturity that you should be at. So as you interact with these people and you try to act out your faith, and you're, you're trying to help people as God gives you insight, that's good enough. Because not everybody's going to understand, not everybody's going to like it. And those that are in sin probably aren't going to like it anyhow. And if they're feeling the conviction their hearts that they need Jesus they might not respond nicely but you need to be in a place that you feel that God's happy with that's what he holds you accountable for to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him is sin now this is different than the concept <clears throat> someone say we sin in word thought or deed every day because they're comparing themselves to the perfect and holy God and we are to ascribe to that but just like as as we have preached, as the scripture tells us, we are accountable for the light on our path. So we do expect someone that's been a Christian for 20 years to act differently than somebody who's been a Christian for a year. Depending on what light God has shined on their path. And that's what you're accountable for. To what God has said to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. We are growing in our relationship with Christ. But if we surrender our lives to Christ, then he starts working on us and molding us and approve us. And we can be in place of what John Wesley would have called Christian perfection. As we've talked about, you know, that apple blossom, as it's growing into that perfect apple, it's a perfect apple blossom where it's at. You don't go around telling a child, wow, they're... they're, they're they're just a great child, but you're imperfect because you're not a perfect adult. You don't hold them accountable for not being a perfect adult, neither does Christ hold you accountable for not being a perfect adult, but you're expected to be obedient in where you are. The corollary scripture, if we took to the, turn to the book of John, chapter 9, verse 35. John, chapter 9, verse 35. John's the fourth book of the New Testament. So if you go back to the beginning of the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then uh, we're going to verse uh, chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that, and that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And he said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. If you were blind and you didn't see it, if it wasn't presented to you, you can look at scripture multiple ways, but I think this correlates with the other one 
if God's revealed to you what you should be doing and you're not doing it, then that's counted to you as sin. It's something you shouldn't be doing. Something that you should be avoiding. You know, for some of us, there's these words that we call personal convictions. Maybe you're not familiar with that term. So let's say I have a propensity to alcohol. And so God lays out that I should not be in a place where there's alcohol. And so in that situation, for me, for me, for some, for some they can't, they can be in a location or be around people that are drinking and not get tripped up. But for others, if they get that close to it, they're going to go right into it. They're going to go, they'll have to take a drink. They know they have to set their boundaries up here to keep them from crossing that line because when they cross that line, as they would say, it's a slippery slope. For some, it might be with gambling. So for some, it might be with TV. For some, it might be with the internet. For some, it might be with the company that they keep. God says, don't cross there. This is a personal conviction. God's made a boundary for you that you shouldn't cross that boundary. Because if you pass that boundary, you go farther. So it's for your protection. So your line might be a little shorter than some other people's lines. But you need to do what God's telling you. Be obedient where God's trying to protect you. It's that personal conviction. It's the law written upon our hearts. So we have to kind of be careful that we go around judging people and say, well, you should, uh, you should and shouldn't do this and that. And Yeah, the scripture is pretty clear on some things. But sometimes my personal convictions might not be your personal convictions. But God has asked me to do some things or not do some things that are particular to me. Hopefully it doesn't sound too weird, but it's kind of like setting my boundaries for myself. That God's setting for me. For some, you know, we do more witnessing maybe than other people. That that's being obedient to God. But we all should be doing witnessing. But we need to have that personal relationship with God. That affects our lives and draws us close to Him. Let's be standing together. Lord, I pray that you would help each one in the sound of my voice. Father, as we got <clears throat> to the end of the sermon, we know we got into some deep things and some deep thoughts. And I pray to the Lord you would unravel the confusion or any confusion that I caused. But Lord, help us where we're at to say, when you're telling us not to do something, that we don't say, hey, so-and-so does it, so it must be okay for me to do it. That might not be the case. You might be setting a boundary short for us because you know we're too weak from going too far. And I pray that you would strengthen us in our resolve to be obedient to you, not do things because everybody else says it's okay, 
but be willing for you to govern our lives. Help us to seek to please you and not everybody else around us, because it'll just drive us crazy. And if we're pleasing you and you give us that peace, help us to know that's good enough. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put that faith we have into you into action, to do the work, to interact with people with impartiality. Doesn't matter the color of their skin, doesn't matter their status, doesn't matter their wealth or poor, we all need Jesus. Help us to reach out in impartiality. So may our faith bear fruit. May our conduct be affected by our relationship with you. And may we rest in that. And may our standard be the standard that you give to us. And may we be not so quick to judge, but quicker to love. This guide and direct us. Help us to be obedient in all things. Help us to grow in our grace and knowledge of you. And be in your word. And open to your, your guiding and directing, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So with your heads bowed and hearts praying just for a minute.